Lord, now we've come to the time in this service when we open the Word of God. Your Word, O Lord, that feeds our spirit, that encourages our heart, that touches and strengthens our mind with zeal and enthusiasm for the kingdom of God. Lord, we're faced with a difficult proposition this morning, and I need your help. And I ask you to touch me and help me. Lord, give me clarity and help me to remember those things that you have told me in private that I make, make them public. Touch me, O Lord, with something of which I am not worthy, the anointing of your Spirit and the enablement of your Spirit, that I might preach with grace and truth the word that you've assigned to me today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 For the last six Sundays that I have preached in this pulpit, I've talked to you about churches, churches in Asia, seven of them that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation were recipients of a letter sent to them by the Lord Jesus. Who in this room would like to get a letter from Jesus? Amen. A letter from Jesus. There are preachers that are prophetically uh, motivated that see these churches as different time periods in uh, history. And the Laodicean church would be the time of the end and the time and the condition of the church prior to the coming of the Lord. The Bible tells us that in the last days there would be an apostasy. There would be a falling away. Not necessarily a backsliding, but a, a departure from the truth as we know it in Jesus. And we've certainly come to those times. There are scholarly articles and books that are written that deny the deity of Christ, that deny the infallibility of the Word of God, that deny God as the Creator. There are all kinds of things you can buy now on the market and you need to be very, very careful and uh, trust someone to uh, peruse that material and let you know that that's suitable for you to be reading because there's a lot of things on the market that you don't really need to ingest into your spirit life. That's for sure. So the Bible tells us that there will come a time in the last days that there will be this apostatizing, a departure from the faith. In fact, Paul told Timothy that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And that certainly occurs in the church at Laodicea. Asia, the Asian province, the Roman Asian province, was a large landmass. It was populated with very prosperous uh, cities, great world-class cities, cities that uh, you would be proud in that day to, to live in. And in each one of these areas, these cities, they were evangelized by probably the Ephesian church. For the Bible tells us in Acts 19 and 10 that from the efforts of Paul, they went all into Asia and that the word of God grew mightily and prevailed in Asia because of the efforts of the apostle Paul and the other people that worked with him out of the Ephesian uh, membership of that church. These churches were all established, Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamos, all of them, Philadelphia, all of them were established uh, by outreach ministry from the church that was at Ephesus, Paul supervising that. This church at Laodicea was the last uh, on the mail route that we have followed delivering our letters. It was about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was about uh, six miles uh, north of Colossae. It was about uh, 10 miles from Aeropolis. And it was a city that was on a, a crossroad. In fact, there was a Roman road that... Uh, bisected the province and went straight from the uh, coast, the west coast, straight through the east. There was another road that went from the south to the north, and they intersected right at Laodicea. 
Can you imagine that? And because it was such a crossroads and such an intersection, there were many, many camel trains and merchants and a lot of traffic along that road. In fact, that Roman road went right down the middle street of the city of Laodicea. Laodicea lives in a, the people there lived in Laodicea live in a place that was earthquake prone. And uh, that city had been destroyed uh, several times. It was a city of great wealth. It was a city of gold. It was a city that, that per manufactured or, or produced a wool, a fine wool that had a black cast to it. It was, it was a glossy black kind of material. And it was coveted by clothes makers all over the world. And uh, the merchants who sold the black wool were, were very, very wealthy people. They also had a medical university at uh, Laodicea. And they were known all over the world for a particular product, and it was an salve. In fact, we know that it could not affect uh, their, their vision, but it was probably for those that had injuries and uh, other ailments that they put the salve on, and it was world-renowned to be good medicine. People would travel from great distances to come to Laodicea to buy the salve. So it was also a, a healing university where, where they even very closely connected to a scopolis. I think I got that right, didn't I? The God that is supposed to be the God of healing. In fact, they had a temple for healing right there in Laodicea next to a huge market where they sold all kind of goods. There was a large Jewish population that was there in Laodicea. Can you believe that? Where there's commerce, there's going to be Jewish people. Yeah, great money to be made right there in Laodicea. In fact, the, the Jewish, you know, they had a temple tax. They didn't uh, do the tithe thing like we do. They had a temple tax, they called it. And every male, every year, had to pay the temple tax. And it didn't matter where in the world you were, you had to get it back to Jerusalem because it was the temple tax. Well, one particular year, the temple tax was paid in gold and, and the Flavius, the provincial governor, had mandated that no gold goes out of Laodicea. Wow. And the Jews just completely disobeyed that and disregarded that and sent their gold back to Jerusalem anyway. And we know how many there were because there was 20 pounds of gold in that tax that was paid back to Jerusalem. Well, that means there was at least 4,000 males because you paid half a shekel for your temple tax. So there was about 4,000 males, not to mention the females and the children in those families. That was just males. So there was a huge population of Jewish people that were there. The church was probably organized as a, a church plant from Colossae. Probably from Colossae because we'll establish that relationship here in a minute. But Laodicea was a very wealthy church. It was a banking center for the whole area. In fact, they had so much gold and had so much money that Cicero cashed numerous bank documents right there in Laodicea. They had the money to cover the, the banking business. So we're talking about a mammoth financial enterprise right there in Laodicea. And here, with all of this culture, with the pagan gods, Zeus was the dominant god of the pagans. Big temple, healing university and all, it was, it was a grandiose thing to behold. You can go online and look at the ruins and see the marble columns and see the, the paved roadways on which they, the chariots rode. It was a, a very, very beautiful. It was the pride of antiquity. It was a really a great looking place. But they had one problem. With all their money, with all their wool, with all their university, with all their culture, with all of their art, they had a water problem. Their water was disgusting. Disgusting. Now, right up the road, you've got Aeropolis. And Aeropolis, just uh, six miles away, has hot springs. 
and like Hot Springs, Arkansas. People would come from miles around because of the therapeutic value. And they found out there was healing in that hot water, those minerals and those sediments that went along with that. So they were a, a hot water city. Well, right over the road at Colossae, they were situated where the Lycus River went through. And the Lycus River wasn't good to drink. It was polluted also. But Colossae was situated where the mountain, the snow melt, would run down into their streams. So they had very pure, very cold water to drink. So we got one city up the road that's cold water. We got some hot springs down the road and they're hot water. But Laodicea is right in between and they've got no water. So they pipe theirs in. The archaeologists and the people that, that do that geological survey, they have found an aqueduct that was six miles long. And they piped their water in. But the silt, the water they piped was so bad, it had so much calcium in it that it would stop up the pipes. Not only would it stop up the pipes, by the time it traveled six miles in a ceramic pipe kind of thing, it got pretty hot. If it was cool to start with, it warmed up before it got there. And if it was hot, it got cool or room temperature before it got there. And when you put it in your mouth, the first thing you do is gag. Now, if I had been a merchant back then, I'd have got over to Colossae and I'd have bottled me up some water and I'd have traveled down there to Laodicea and I'd sold me some DeSante or some Fuji or some kind of water. Aquafina, I think you call that stuff, don't you? Hey, I'd have found out some way to get some water in there because you got too much going for you not to have the basic necessity. There's only one thing that would make you stay in a place like that is you're making money. And they wanted to make money so bad that they were willing to put up with that deplorable, disgusting, spew you out of my mouth water just to stay there and make some money. Make money at all cost. Do or die, we're going to make money. And the wealth that they accrued was so precious to them that they lived a deplorable existence as far as water is concerned. It stunk so bad you couldn't even bathe in it. In fact, by the time it got there, it had so much sediment and so much minerals in it that it tasted so insipid and so repugnant that first thing you did was probably spew it out of your mouth and say, I can't take that. Well, how would you have something so beautiful and so palatial and so nice and so rewarding and have poor water? Wow. And that is a great description of this church. They had all the structure, but they had nothing on the inside. Now, I want to tell you, Jesus talked pretty tough to some churches. Repent or I'll remove your candlestick. He wasn't near as tough on any of them as he was this one. He had nothing to commend them. All the others, he found something. A few names at Sardis. Had, 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 a, had a remnant that he could say something good about. He had nothing good to say about Laodicea. Not one good thing has he got to say about Laodicea. But he says this, I know your works. I know your works. To Smyrna, he said, I know about your poverty, yet thou art rich. To the poor church, he said, I know about your poor condition. I know about your poverty, but you're really rich. To this church, he said, I know about your wealth, but you're really poor. Boy, that was right backwards of what he said to the church at, at Sardis. Well, let's read the text. 14th verse 
Second chapter, third chapter. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. Can anybody say Amen? amen. These things saith the Amen. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Well, what a salutation. He gives a salutation to all of the churches, you know. The churches that he told them the beginning and the end, the one that walks among the candlesticks, the one who has the stars in his hand. To this group, he said, I am the amen. I am the amen and I am the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I know you're right in the middle. I would that you work cold or hard, hot, but because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'll spew you out of my mouth like you spew out the water. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. My advice to you, my counsel to you, is to buy of me gold, Try it in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment, get rid of that black stuff and get you some white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Well, Brother Jerry, I thought that was Jesus knocking on a sinner's door. No, that's Jesus knocking on a church door. He's on the outside. Supposed to be on the inside, but he's on the outside. He wants to get in, and he's knocking on the door, and he said, if anyone, anyone, will hear my voice. If anyone will open this door and let me in, I will come in and I'll dine. I will sup with them. I'll take a meal with them. We'll sit down together in fellowship. We'll have unity. We'll have harmony. We'll have fellowship. Amen. If you'll just let me in and let me talk with you, to him that overcometh, I'll grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. Who's talking now? The amen is talking. The faithful witness is talking. How is Jesus the amen? I want to tell you, Jesus is the so be it of everything God promises. Jesus is the that so response to everything God says. Jesus is the one that says amen to the faithful witness of our God in his purpose, his plan, everything, his promises, his covenants, everything that, that pertains to God, Jesus is the amen to everything that is godly. Oh, I love that, don't you? He is the amen to everything God says and everything that God is. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 65 and 16, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. The Hebrew word for that is the God of amen. The God of amen. Amen. The God of amen. That, that means our God is the absolute and faithful, firm, fixed, unchangeable amen. Amen is an affirmation. It's a verbal guarantee. It's a verification of what has been said is true. Verily, verily affirms the statement that what is about to be said and what's about to be made and amen is the end and it seals its veracity and its certainty. Jesus is the amen to all of God's promises. All of his covenants are true and Christ is the guarantee and the affirmation of all God says. 
What does 1 Corinthians 1 and 20 say? All the promises of God are yea and amen in him. All the promises are amen in him. He is the great amen. He's the faithful and the true witnesses as well. That means that not only does he validate the truthfulness of God, but everything he declares and promises are true. He himself is faithful and true. That Jesus is trustworthy. That Jesus speaks the truth. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And all that he says is a faithful witness. John 3.31 He that cometh from above is above all. Jesus is above all. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. What he, Jesus, has seen and heard of God, he testifieth. And no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hands. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Brother, Jesus is the amen. He's the confirmation. And he that doesn't believe what Jesus is, he'll never see eternal life. But if you accept and receive the amen and the true and faithful witness, then you have the promise of everlasting life through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us that he might be the veracity of truth in God. Hallelujah. Jesus is the amen and Jesus is the faithful witness. You see, Jesus speaks it in perfect accuracy. He is altogether true. He never deals in falsehood. He never deals in pretense. He never deals in deceit. He always speaks with integrity that which is true. If Jesus says it, it's so. Boy, that's good stuff. He's the perfect witness, meaning that all the judgments... All the dealings of God are reliable and can be trusted and should be accepted. The purpose, plan, promise, covenant, all are of Christ's deity. Truth, folks, is a great foundation. I'm glad God has a faithful witness. And I'm glad God's got an amen because you can build your life on the truth of that foundation. Why all this talk about the deity of Christ. Why, why is it so important that we understand that? Why is it so important that we understand that Jesus was a participant in creation? Well, there was a situation that existed there in Laodicea where they did not recognize the deity of Jesus. They did not recognize his part in creation. They did not honor him as being anything other than an angel. Now what is that? That's Gnosticism. I said that's Gnosticism. In other words, Gnosticism denies the deity of Jesus. It just simply says he's like every other created being. He's just like angels. But I want to tell you, God would never ever allow that kind of heretic teaching to go forth. He always would send someone that would preach the truth to straighten that out. And being as this church was probably started from Colossae, Paul wrote to the Colossians. Now listen to what he says to them in Colossians 1 and 15 about this creation thing. Who is the image, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of every creature. For by Him, for by Him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, that are visible, 
that are invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. I believe he just settled the issue, didn't he? I believe he just settled the matter. Why all this rhetoric about the deity of Christ to a church that's basically backslidden if they ever were saved? You mean a church can be a church and never be saved? There are many churches that are just social organizations. There are many churches that go through the motions and play like. But when you pin them down on the infallibility of Scripture and you pin them down on who is Jesus, then somehow they fall by the wayside on that matter. Let me tell you this. You must know who Jesus is if you're going to be a viable, living entity for the Lord Jesus. If you're going to be a church, you got to know who Jesus is. You've got to establish once and for all that Jesus is the Son of the living God. There is no exception to that. He is the head of the church, the Bible said. And the Bible said he is before all things. And by him all things were made, and by him all things consist to this very day. And that's still true. Why all that rhetoric about that? It sounds like a letter to the Colossians. You see, Laodicea was only 10 miles and not far from Aeropolis. There was a great threat to the faith in Colossae. You know what the problem was at Colossae? Gnosticism. There was a real problem. False doctrine, false heretical stuff that was going on in the church. And it was destroying the faith of some, the Bible said. Did you know there, there are people that, that teach some things in, in universities now and in schools of theology that deny the virgin birth? I sat in classes where professors would say, surely you don't believe that. Are you kidding me, Pastor? Yes. Sure, there's that kind of teaching that's going on. Verbal inspiration? Well, I don't know if we can really just believe carte blanche in verbal inspiration. Yes, you can. Well, do you believe that Noah stuff? That Noah built an ark and took eight people in that ark and animals? You believe that? Yes. You believe in a global flood? Yes. You believe a fish swallowed Jonah? Yes. There's one scripture that makes me believe all of that. It's in Luke 2.42. For with man it is impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. Yes, I agree with you. Biologically it's not possible for a baby to be conceived of a virgin. That's, that, that is Impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. I agree with you biologically under the microscope. Yes, yes, that is empirical data. I agree with you, that's so. But when you leave that logic and rationale and go over into the spirit realm, you realize that there is a God who is not bound by our logic nor our rationale. And the Bible said that holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And yet there are those that do nothing but sit and study to punch holes in what God has said and to try to discredit it. There was a woman who was a, a great theologian. She was a female theologian. And she wrote a lot of books attacking the deity of Jesus. She wrote many, many scholarly articles and magazines and theological periodicals denouncing verbal inspiration, denouncing everything from the, a liberal point of view. But one day, 
she met this Jesus Christ. He knocked on her door. I said he knocked on her door. And she opened the door and let him in. And he came in. And he began to fellowship with her. And he began to change things in her life and rearrange her life. And she did a turnaround. And she realized that what she had been writing about, she knew nothing about because she'd never come face to face with the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. She'd never known him in the free pardon of sin. She'd never met him as the all-sufficient Christ who meets every need that this human being may have. She never knew the joy of sins forgiven. She never knew the confidence and the assurance of knowing Jesus and his shed blood had availed for the sin in her life, but suddenly she knew it. And when she made her proclamation, I have met the Jesus I have wrote about, but I never knew. And suddenly the question was asked, what are we going to do with all of your books? Charles, she looked him straight in the eye and said, you ought to do what I did. Throw them away because they're useless. They're useless. You see, there comes a time when the scholar has to know and have the experience in order to write with accuracy what he's putting down on pen and paper. There comes a time when the apologist has to come face to face with the reality of God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. There has to come a time when the intellectual has to come to grips with the fact that there are spiritual things that God does that cannot be explained by logic and rationale and logarithms. That he is a God who is above and beyond our ways as far as the heaven is above the earth. But so sadly, this doctrine had been transferred from the problem in Colossae. And it was transferred and brought on over to Laodicea. And the Laodiceans had adopted that kind of rhetoric and that kind of dogma as their Christian experience. You see, Paul wrote these great statements of the fullness of the Godhead and the creation and all things consisting by the word of his mouth. I want you to read Colossians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 with me. So Paul, knowing that was a problem at Colossae and surmising it was the problem over at Laodicea, when he wrote these letters to them and wrote what I just read to you about the God who is the creator and the Lord Jesus by whom all things exist. Listen to what he says in 4.15 of Colossians. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea. Paul never was in Laodicea, never was in Colossae, but he knew the folks that were there, knew the brethren that was there, knew the folks that were at Colossae, the bishop of the church, and knew about the things that were going on there, the battle that they fought, and wrote them all of those things affirming the lordship of Jesus and the deity of the Lord Jesus and he says salute the brethren which are at Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house and when this epistle is read among you cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea in other words when you get through reading this letter in your church I'm sure there are some folks over in Laodicea that need to hear this too. Who Jesus is, who God is, the image of the invisible God, the creator who existed before the world began, who is the amen and the faithful witness of our God. And Paul said, don't just keep this to yourself. Take this letter to Laodicea and make sure they get it too. And he said, and by the way, when they write back, I want you to read that letter first before it reaches me. Now that letter is lost. There are a lot of letters that are lost. There are actually four letters that were written to the Corinthians. We've got two and four. We don't have one and three. How about that? 
I wish we could find those lost letters because I think we'd find out some things that we just guess about. But they're lost to history. But the Lord has given us the wise counsel of His Word. A letter to the Colossians was to be read in the church at Laodicea. In other words, they were a church plant that had the same problems that they had at Colossae. Paul instructs the Colossians, read this letter because they need to learn this too. Not just you, but they need to learn this too. There was a great debate about who the creator was, who the supreme ruler, the supreme being of all creation was. They did not believe that Jesus was the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the beginning Omega is the ending. Those are the letters of the Greek alphabet. Alpha is A. Omega is Z. So Alpha to Omega. Beginning and end. And all that is between. Glory to God. Jesus, in fact, the Colossian letter just simply says, Christ is all and in all. Is Christ all and in all in your life? Or does he have some subsistence in a secondary role? Are other things a priority and Christ second place? For the Laodiceans, he was second place. Paul wanted to establish that God is the creator and that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. To be the Alpha, he had to be the creator. That's why Paul said he's before all things. To be Omega, he had to be the consummator, the finisher, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hey, Jesus didn't just start it, he also ends it. He finishes what he starts. The Laodiceans had corrupted their view of Christ. The Christ they worshipped was a false Christ. I wonder sometimes in churches in America, if the Christ people are supposedly worshiping is who he really is. You cannot, cannot be a church unless you know who Jesus is and place him in that position of lordship. He will not be relegated to a second class situation. He says, I either want to be first in your life or I won't be in your life at all. Sandy Patty's song says, if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord at all. He wants to be the Lord of your family. He wants to be the Lord of your business. He wants to be the Lord of your marriage. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the Lord of everything that are around you and everything that is about you. This water was a most pressing problem. And when they got right down to the object of their problem, they had to deal with this hot and cold situation. They had no source of water and piped it in. It was distasteful, pungent, so much that they often would become sick of the water. Sick of the water. Well, you know, sometimes tipid water is used to induce vomiting. In fact, when this, this verb spew actually means vomit. God, when he looked at Laodicea and saw that church with a disoriented and corrupt view of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and all the redemption in holes, God said, you make me sick. It wasn't a person that made him sick. It was a church. Now, brother, he told other folks that you left your first love and you're, you're too tolerant. He said to this church, you make me sick. Wow. Boy, it got quiet in this house. You've never heard God say that to anybody, have you? 
Oh, brother Jerry, we need to. We don't need to be preaching stuff like that. We need to. We do, that scares people away, and that runs people away from God. No, you need to know who God really is. God says, "My spirit will not always strive with a man." God tells us that at times he's turned people over to what he calls a reprobate mind. And once you get turned over to a reprobate mind, friend, that's it for you. Because you can't think enough to get right with God. You think that you're so right, and you think you've got it so together that you could not possibly need to change in any way. And that was what was wrong with this church here at Laodicea. They thought we are so right. We've got it going our way. We're happy. We've got these, these uh, good clothes made out of this black wool. We've got gold. We've got all of these things that we need. Why? We don't have any need of nothing. Listen, when that earthquake came, it destroyed the whole city. I mean, the place was a shambles. It had to be totally rebuilt. The Roman Caesar made him a deal. He said, you don't have to pay taxes for five years. I know it's going to cost through the wazoo to get this thing put back together. You've got to rebuild a whole city. I tell you what, no taxes, tax-free for five years, and we'll send aid to come over. You know what they said? We don't need your aid. We don't need your money. We don't need your pity for us. We're not pitiable. We've got our act together. We'll build our own city. Keep your money. We have need of nothing. And what happened is that kind of culture and that kind of thinking infiltrated the church. The worst scenario for any church is to be overwhelmed by your culture. The biggest challenge Harvest faces today is to not be overwhelmed by our culture. Not to allow our thinking and our our values to be affected by what the environment around us believes and says and does. You are not of the world, the Bible said. You are not of the world. For the world passeth away with the lust thereof, but he that does the will of the Father abides forever and forever. God never, ever intended for you to be like the world. In fact, he tells you over and over, don't be like the world. Don't get involved in this world system. Don't get caught up in that. God's people will always be a distinguished people. Can I preach this this morning? They were so self-sufficient. They were so pleased to live in their pagan culture. They, They offered nothing to affect culture at all. They just soaked it all in. Satisfied, comfortable with their wealth. When the city was pressing in upon them, They offer no resistance. What a shame to be so wealthy and lack so. And they thought they were all right. I said they thought they were all right. Look at verse 17. Look how fooled they are. They've got two evaluations. One's God and one's theirs. That's the way it always works, isn't it? God's evaluation and yours. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I'm rich, increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You say you're rich. You say you're satisfied. You say you don't need a thing. You say that I've got all I want, I don't want for anything, but I, God, am saying to you 
that you are pitiable, you're wretched, you're hungry, you're blind, and you're naked. In other words, God sees us like that song I used to sing. If your heart, if your life was made with a window on each side so that all could see, how about your heart? Is it right with God? Is it right with God? These people thought they were right. These people didn't say anything wrong with what was going on while all the time they were blind. They weren't just blind, they were stone blind. Stone blind. They had all of these physical things that were a problem, but their spiritual perception, they were blind. They know about God, but they have created a false God. They're smugly self-confident. This manner of thinking characterizes large segments of the religious landscape of our country today. They feel that they have elevated knowledge, as Gnosticism teaches. Once you deny Jesus Christ, you're a Laodicean. You're a church of non-Christians. Come on and help me quit, Victor. You see, this church draped all their lavish clothing, thinking they are to be envied when they should be pitied. Appearing in wealthy attire, they're spiritually naked. They think they're spiritually rich, but they're actually bankrupt. They think they're beautiful and much desired when they're wretched and sickening. They think they're seeing everything clearly when they are really stone blind. They may have their bank account and wear their fine wool and they may have their eye salve, but spiritually, they're miserable, they're wretched, they're poor, they're blind, they're naked and to be pitied. They have no rules. They go for everything. The Bible said they declare their sin is Sodom. They hide it not. Is that not a description of where we live today? Did you think there would ever be an attack upon fundamental evangelical churches like there is today? Did you know that you're made fun of in the press as being old fogey, stuck in the past, not progressive, not free thinking? Did you know that preachers who preach what I'm preaching today are called old, foggy, and outdated? Did you know that anybody that contends for Judeo-Christian morals and values is called old, foggy, and outdated now? Did you know that our country has swerved so far to the left and the church has been so passive? We've given up on this and we've given up that and we've given up the other until we don't stand for a whole lot anymore. How long has it been since you saw anybody take a stand and say that's wrong and God will spew that out of his mouth? How long has it been since you heard a message about hell? I ask you, how long has it been since you heard a sermon about hell? Well, we don't want to offend anybody, Brother Jerry. They won't come back to church if we preach that kind of stuff. We got to hold on to everybody we can. No, we've got to face God one of these days. That's what we've got to do. So God tells them what you need to do. Anybody need to get some counseling advice from God? God's putting on his counseling a hat, and God is going to tell them what they need to do. Ready? Perked up? Turn the urinate up. I counsel thee, verse 18, to buy of me gold, not your gold. Buy gold from me. 
gold that's tried in the fire that's been tested that thou mayest be rich. And get rid of that black wool that you're wearing and get this white raiment from me that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. Come to me, God said. Stop trying to depend on yourself. Stop trying to reason and stop trying to justify things yourself. Turn from your way and come to me, God says. God says it's my way. Come to me and seek my face. Come to me. Well, Brother Jerry, how much does God sell his gold for? In Isaiah 55 and 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth. Now, brother, did that get Laodiceans or not? People who had no water. I would say they're thirsty, wouldn't you? Brother, when I've usually got no water, I'm thirsty. Everyone that thirst, come to the waters. What water is that, Pastor? That water that Jesus told that little woman, if you drink of the water that I shall give you, you will never thirst again. It is an inexhaustible supply. It never runs low. It doesn't affect, be affected by tide coming in or going out. That water is so reliable, it's so pure that it can cleanse, it can refresh, it can encourage, it can heal, it can lift, hallelujah. That water, Jesus said, if you ever get that water, you'll never thirst again. You mean God is now saying to the church that he told, you make me sick, he's now offering them grace? You mean to a church that has denied him, that has denied the Lord Jesus and the shed blood, that has said it's all a hoax, it's a folk's tale, it's not true, it's just a fable, just a story? And God says to them, I'm going to make you an offer. Going to make you an offer. He says, buy of me gold. What is gold, pastor, so that you won't be poor anymore? God says, buy gold from me. God's pure gold is this, all spiritual blessings. The Bible said he hath given us all spiritual blessings richly to enjoy. God has got a gold, praise God, that is more precious than the gold in Fort Knox, Kentucky. In 1 Peter 1 and 7, he said, The trial of your faith is more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire. Salvation is the gold that makes us rich in faith. Hallelujah. Are you rich in faith this morning? Are you rich in salvation? Do you know that you know that you know that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, that the blood of Jesus is upon your soul, that you've been to Calvary, you've been to the foot of the cross, you've experienced the transformation that comes through knowing Jesus? Then the Bible said you're rich in spiritual blessings so that you won't be naked anymore. Buy raiment from me, God says. Do away with your black robe and buy from me a white robe. A white robe is God's imputed righteousness through Jesus that has been adjudicated in our favor. Glory. Now we shouted at that last Wednesday night. We've got a mediator and we've got an advocate that took our, court, our case into the courtroom of God. 
And God looked at the evidence and he saw that what Jesus did at Calvary was sufficient for the cleansing and God ruled in our favor and accepted the motion that the blood of Jesus saves from all sin and God ruled in our favor. Wow. Come to the waters, he that hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What God calls riches, you can't buy with money. What God calls riches, you can't write a check for. What God calls wealth, hallelujah, it only comes one way. And that's right relationship with God. Hey, don't you remember when, when the sorcerer, Simon the sorcerer, tried to buy it from the apostles? And they said, how much money could we give you that we could do these things that you're doing? We see dead people getting up. We see, see blind people seeing. We see uh, uh, hearing impaired people start hearing. And we'd like to have whatever it is you've got. How much you want for it? And do you know what Paul said to him? He said, Sir, O thou full of all subtility, thou child of Belial, he said, go and ask of God that perhaps he might forgive you for that. Did you hear that? What was the offense? Trying to buy the Holy Ghost. Trying to buy the power of God trying to buy a miracle working of the power of our great God. Hey, honey, you can't buy it with money. No, there's no bank that'll write a check or cover a check that'll ever buy a miracle. Hey, you only get miracles from the throne room of God. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. You can't buy it. He said, white robes, and that Greek word is luka, and it literally means dazzling. Brother, God's got robes of righteousness to put upon the people of God. In Revelation 2, he told the church at Sardis, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. In Isaiah 61 and 10, God said, I'll give you a robe of righteousness. A robe of righteousness. I want to tell you, God's got something better for you to wear than what comes out of Macy's. God's got something better for you to wear that comes out of Neiman Marcus. God's got something better for you to wear. What is it? Put on the ornament of praise. Put on the garment of praise and thanksgiving unto God. Start wearing that robe of righteousness. Start walking like a king's kid and living like a person of faith in a risen Jesus. And he said, then I'm standing at that door and I'm knocking. And he said, if somebody will open up, just one, just one on that inside, he said, anyone, if anyone will open the door. If just one person comes in that door and believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you got your church back. Got your church back. Brother, if you'll put Jesus on the throne, and if you'll dismiss everything that is contrary-wise, anything that takes away from Jesus being Lord, anything that would smear, anything that would taint the image of the deity of the Lord Jesus, if you'll dismiss that and never allow that to come into your life, You'll never get in the trap that the Laodiceans got in. Lastly, he said, I've got one more promise for you. Not only will I come in and sup with you, I'll eat with you and have fellowship with you, but the last verse he said, I'll take you to glory. I'll take you to glory. Because just like I overcame, just like I overcame, I 
I'm going to glory and I'm sitting on my father's throne. And he said, if you overcome, then you can sit with me on my throne. I'm going to take you in glory. Because when you get to the glory land and when you get to the heaven and you get to the throne, then great things happen at the throne of God. One thing that will happen is when those four beasts fall on their face and cry holy, 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 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the Bible said we'd take our crowns and we would lay them at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, he that overcometh will sit with me in my throne. I want to be an overcomer, don't you? I want to be an overcomer. I want Harvest to be an overcoming church. I want every family in this church to be an overcomer. And God has fixed it so that everybody here, you can be an overcomer. Point at that person beside you and say, you can be an overcomer. You can be an overcomer. You can be an overcomer. Glory to God. Faith point at Tim over there and tell him he can be an overcomer. Glory to God. David, point at your daddy back there and tell him he can be an overcomer. You can overcome. What do you mean I can overcome? You can beat it. You can have victory. Does anybody want victory? Does anybody want to be an overcomer? Beat what, pastor? Whatever. You can beat whatever. Whatever it is that's tormenting you. Whatever is a negative influence in your life. Whatever it is, you can overcome it. You can be an overcomer. I don't care if it's finance, if it's relationship, whatever it is, you can overcome it. How? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As long as he is in his proper place, as long as I reverence and respect him and worship him as his deity, the son of the living God, when Jesus is in his rightful place, then you can be an overcomer. Stand with me, please. You know what? I, when we're in Israel, we'll be on that bus, and sometimes, especially on that Jericho Road, sometimes you'll look off a cliff down there in just a few inches from that wheel. You'll see a thousand-foot drop straight down to the valley floor. There's a little saying that they say in Israel. The word is opa. Opa. You know what that means? We made it. We made it. Stan, that means we made it. Opa. Opa, Pastor. Opa. Opa. I feel like saying a big opa, don't you? We made it. We made it through Laodicea. You'll never preach a sermon as difficult as that one is to preach because there's not much good that goes on in that sermon. It's mostly God giving warnings and God giving evaluations. It's tough. Oh, I'd, I'd rather shout with you. Lord, let's, let's get to go in here and shout a little bit. But sometimes we've got to sit still and we've got to listen and we've got to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And I hope the Spirit has spoken to you today. All night long it spoke to me about this message. Boy, it's tough. Tough. Tough not to let the world get in you. I said it's tough not to let the world get in you. It's tough not to let all the seductions and the enticement and that pull that constant pull. But if you can resist that, and if you can keep Jesus in his proper place, you can overcome. And I want to tell you there's a joy that is unspeakable, and there's a peace that passes all understanding if you put Jesus in his rightful place.
Say it with me. Keep Jesus in his rightful place. One more time. Keep Jesus in his rightful place. That's the message for harvest this morning. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Thank you for the anointing and the enablement of your great love. I thank you, O God, for a great congregation of people. And I thank you, O Lord, for their their willingness to hear the word of the Lord, their willingness, O Lord, to apply God's word to their lives. Thank you for speaking to us today. And don't let us, O Lord, become so involved in the things of this life and the world and fall in love with this present world. Help us, Lord, to anticipate the world that is to come. You've got something so much better for us, God. And I just pray that today, all over this room, that there would be people, men and women, boys and girls, that would say with renewed zeal, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'll go with him all the way. God, that's our prayer and dismissal this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.